Welcome to Marriage and Money, a conversational podcast about personal financial topics aimed at improving conversations about money in your marriage so you can reach your dreams together. This is a weekly discussion brought to you by a seemingly financially incompatible couple bonded by the legal contract of marriage. My name is David, your favorite saver, and I'm joined today by my one in a million spender, Heather. We have a great show for you today. Today, we're going to be talking about who millionaires are and are not. Oh, so, you have a list? Who you have wants, names? Who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> That's I, right. I do. That's my final answer. This is <laughs> this is not going to be a gossip session. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think most of us really want to be millionaires, right? I mean, we. So, what if you want to be a billionaire? Does that count then? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. It, that, that's like a a, a multi millionaire, like a millionaire of nine hundred ninety nine <laughs> million plus one more million. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I would think when we're talking about being a millionaire, what we're really talking about is we want to have wealth. We're talking about financial independence. We're talking about being financially secure, right? I think that's what we all want. I think it's just a difference of understanding, you know, what what does it take, right? Because I think yes. it feels like such a lofty, this is so far out, this is such a huge thing that... I think it, there's a lot of misunderstandings and, and well, confusion around how do you even get there. And, and I, yeah, and I think what makes it hard is that the vast majority of us start from nothing. I, I mean, I think it's a very rare case where you have an inheritance that you're, you're starting from or you have a trust fund that you're starting from. That is the exception. Yeah, Most not, people. Not all of us are born as Prince William or Prince Harry, right? Like, <laughs> I guess that's really technically government money, but you know, <laughs> okay, who cares? It, it qualifies. Yeah. It, it's, it's money. And so we, we have to, most of us have to start from scratch. And so that, that takes a lot of effort. And so what, how does that really happen? I feel like, I feel like there, there is this myth um, like you said, that you really have to be famous. You have to be like this this celebrity royalty. You have to be, um, yeah, I don't know, a movie star. Like maybe maybe Mark Hamill, right? Maybe you were, you were uh, a Star Wars legend or something along those lines to, to make your millions. I, I think for me, what I always think of is like DuckTales and Scrooge McDuck like swimming in his like Ooh, that's pile a good visual. of coins. Like, to me, that was like, well, that's who millionaires are, you know, fancy ducks who like swim through money. And I was like, that's very rare, right? It's like, that's really unique. And it's, to your point, it's something so far out there and it looks way different than I think it really, what it really truly can look like. Exactly. It, it's, it, it is interesting because you, you have this impression, this cartoony impression of what a millionaire is. And the reality is so far removed from that that cartoony, um, like, and Scrooge is very greedy, right? Like, there's this perception that you can't be a millionaire unless you're incredibly greedy, unless you hold on with a tight fist to every penny you make like Scrooge McDuck. And that's not true at all either. Um, and... I, I I, I also think that that a lot of people think that those that that millionaires just maybe they're lucky. Maybe they they put their money, they just happen to have their money in the right investment at the right time, or 
they they had a, a rich uncle, a rich Uncle Scrooge who died. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you're saying that not everyone who's millionaires were winners of the publishing clearinghouse? Because I thought that was like the only path to being. Uh, well, it, it's a pretty you know, good path, Ed especially McMahon showing up at your house with balloons. And oh gosh, how many people check? out there today still remember Ed McMahon? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm dating myself. <laughs> Ed McMahon uh, of Johnny Carson fame. Johnny Carson, does From anybody remember? What up? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, not everybody has uh, a giant check with millions of dollars given to them or the lottery or anything like that. Yeah, or like also, you know, it's not through risky investments. Not everybody bought Apple stock when it was a dollar or happened to buy, you know, mine Bitcoins when it didn't even exist. Like that's not, I don't think, the path that most people go on to get to this. Yeah, and and there's, I think there's also a perception that you have to go to the right school. Like if, if you went to a Harvard or a Yale or Princeton, if you went to an, like an Ivy League school, well, then that's that's really the path to becoming a millionaire. And only a small percentage of people could ever hope to go to one of those schools. So yeah, there's really no path to being a millionaire for the average person. And I would say that's not at all true. So... Yeah. Right. So one study that's out there, which we've kind of heard a lot about because we listened to Dave Ramsey. So Chris Hogan wrote a book on um, millionaires and did like a very large study on what what's common traits or what can we learn about from millionaires? And I think it's a really interesting um, research that he did to come up with some facts that I think most people would maybe be surprised by how, you know, normal or more average everyday people these are that can become and become millionaires. Yeah. And one of the first things he said in that study was that eight eight out of 10 invest in their company's 401k and three out of four of them invested outside their 401k as well. So, and, and of, of those millionaires, very few of those that we talked about there, very few did any individual stock investing. It was, it was, Mutual funds, it was just, yeah, in, investing in those default funds. And that's, I don't know, I guess it's kind of surprising because it, these are like regular people throwing money into their 401ks. Right. I mean, that sounds, it's so simple. It's, it's like automatic. It's like, wait, 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 where's the secret code with the complex 500 page book that I need to read to yeah. do it? It's like, no, no, this is like, really easy. Most companies, for those of you that were going to come, most companies have some sort of savings, retirement savings, even if you work for a public service or the government that you can invest in. All you have to do is literally sign up and start putting money away. And if you do it from the beginning, you don't even miss that money because you never had it. Um, You're just used to living off off of what you do receive. Right. Yeah, and and throwing that money into that that savings into that retirement account, it's shocking just how much over the course of a few decades that adds up to. Yeah, and again, it's just the the simplicity of it, right? It's just like it's not to your point. It's not single stocks. It's not oh, I've got to get the hot tip. It's like no, just put it into some boring mutual funds or index funds or whatever, and just kind of let it sit. Right. Right. But I think the magic of that is the consistency. It's every two weeks or every paycheck, whatever that cycle is, it's consistently investing. That's really important. And and his study called out that that consistency also 
saving, and he talked about how saving for 28 years, I think was the average listed there. If you save consistently for 28 years on average, these folks hit a million dollars. Yeah. And I think, you know, consistency is key in a lot of things in life, right? Like that's not unique to just becoming a millionaire or becoming, growing your money, right? Anything in life, like, uh, what, what you eat or any other behaviors, regular exercise, um, even in your good marriage, in your marriage, having a good marriage, it doesn't look like, oh, we're just going to hang out on our anniversary or birthdays. You have to be consistently investing in your spouse and in your marriage. It isn't something that you can just do one time and boom, we have it. So I think that consistency is really huge. Yeah. I, I can't imagine our marriage would do too well if we didn't see each other every day. If we just said, oh yeah, I'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get together. How about we get together once a month and say hi and catch up and see what's going on? No, we, we, we invest consistently right. in spending time together and communicating and that's really what makes marriages work. Right. Yeah. And that 28 years, that was like really hit me. I mean, that's a lot of years. It's a he, long time. That's a long time. And so what I think that says is like this does not happen overnight. This is not a quick fix. This is not there's an easy button like you're going to buy the Apple stock at a dollar or whatever. It 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 just takes time and um it it's, it's not really boring. Overnight. Yes, it's really boring. It's really boring. And I feel like that's so true, though, <laughs> that a lot of things in life, they take time and work. It's not there's not an easy button on any a lot of things that are worth it. Right. And this is another example of that. And and unsurprisingly, another thing in this study was was that 94 percent said that they lived on less than they make now. The, the thing about that that kind of shocked me was, wait, there's 6% that sp- that became millionaires spending more than they made? How did that happen? Or do you think it meant just spending everything they made? But then I'm really still not sure how they got to be millionaires. Right. Then maybe those 6% were the lucky ones that, yeah. that won the lottery the and had the big inheritance and did all this stuff. And so they were able to consistently spend more than their income. But- as you can see, that's a that's the minority. Most most yeah. of us have to save money in order to have money. <laughs> but I mean, just in life, like even if you're not trying to be familiar, I feel like everyone should be practicing this living on less than you make. Yes. And yes. to me, the bigger question isn't living on less than you make. It's how much less than you make. Are you going to spend 90% of what you make? Are you going to spend 50%? Like what? To me, it's more how much less than right. the choice to live on less. Well, and if you remember our episode with Will and Jess, uh, when we were interviewing them a few episodes back, they said that they had saved 75%. Right. I cannot even fathom that, but it was very impressive. And I um, think that that helps with that number of years, right? The average 28, yes. the more aggressive you can be there, hopefully that can shorten that time frame. Right. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I also just wanted to call out the, the other number on here was that was incredibly high 93% said they never had like a big name job. They were never CEO, CFO. They were just working their job, doing well at it and being consistent in their savings. They these were not people that were rock stars at their company. And that I mean that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, right? Cuz I think 
we talked about what what you envision. You envision Scrooge McDuck, the fancy person, the owner of the company, the, you know, rock star, the famous person. It's like, no, you can, you can be a teacher. You can be an accountant like me. You can be a policeman. Like you don't, you could have just a normal job. People that you see every day on the street, walking down the street that um, can be millionaires. (laughs) It doesn't have to be just the CEOs and, yeah, it's all about – it's really about what kind of uh, a, a mindset do you get in and lifestyle do you set for yourself. It, it's – while income's important, that – this proves that that isn't the primary factor. It's it's that behavior that you exhibit. And and likewise, like if you're, if you're not that – if you don't have that fancy job, if you don't need that fancy job, you probably also don't need to go to one of those elite schools we were talking about either. Um, although his study did call out that I think 88% went to college. So that suggests that most of the people had some type of formal education, um, perhaps, uh, uh, dedicated themselves to a profession. So, um, th- that also explains that there, there's some level of dedication there, right? If you're right. going to school, that takes some work. It takes some focus. Um, not to say you can't have that without going to school. Plenty of people do. And you're probably not working a minimum wage job. You are correct. Yes. But I think that that the school thing makes it interesting to me because um, I think it's especially like the elite schools. Because if you think about it, if you went to an elite school, chances are you didn't pay cash, right? So you're starting out in life with potentially six figures worth of debt. So you don't have to save a million dollars. You right. have to save more than a million dollars. You're starting out <laughs> negative. You're not starting out at zero. You're starting out negative. And so I think that that's probably a key part of it is because it's hard enough to think about reaching that, let alone if you're starting out, you know, negative. I, I can't I can't even begin to imagine how demotivating that must be coming out of a school like that with debt and working for years and years just to get to zero. Uh, I, that I can't even begin to think about that. That's anyway. Another fact that he had in this article, which I thought was crazy was that nearly 75% have never had a credit card. And that I thought was very shocking because I, I don't really think I know like anybody really that doesn't have a credit card. And I, I don't really, I don't really think credit cards are evil. I know we haven't had a credit card for four or five years, but, um, or even longer. I can't even remember now, but, uh, (laughs) but I mean, I do see how credit cards, you know, can make you spend more and you don't even realize it. And it's really, you just pop it out. And, And so I do see how it, it probably helps deter you from it, but I'm a little surprised that they don't, didn't ever have a credit card. Like that was just kind of shocking to me. Yeah. That was at no time in their lives. 75% had a credit card. I don't even know how that's possible. Like I remember when I went to college, like on campus, they would have tables after tables of people like trying to give you credit cards and you'd get a free t-shirt in college. It was a big deal. It's like, Oh cool. The free t-shirt or the free Frisbee or whatever. And like everybody was signing up for these credit cards. (laughs) I signed up for one. Me too. And, And my parents encouraged me to do it. Right. And, uh, yeah, and th- those days are gone now, of course I let that card go, but yeah, it, it, it is, yeah, shocking to hear that, that there are that many people that have never had a credit card, but I guess that, that goes to show that, um, there are some great habits that if you get into, to solid habits early in life, they pay dividends 
far later in life as well. That's the lesson I take from it. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but. Right. <laughs> I think another fact that was interesting was that eight out of 10 of them come from families that are at or below middle income level. So it, it, again, it goes back to, it's not born into this, or you come from a rich family, like people can start their new legacy for their own family. Uh, so it doesn't back to you. It starts with habits and routines that you're starting early on. And it's not the income that you start at or, or the money that your family has, but I think a, a big portion of it is the knowledge that you have. It's important to have the knowledge early on that these are the habits that I need to get into. Um, that's, I think, what's most important here. Um, yeah, yeah, that is that is fascinating. Um, yeah, very much so. Great. Um, so I, I think that that those were some fa- fascinating statistics. Right, and I, mean, I hope that's, that- I hope that people are encouraged by that. And I hope that if you yes. hadn't heard that before, that you're that it's a revelation that, hey, anybody really can be working towards this goal and can be on this journey. Whether you want to be a millionaire or you just want to be financially independent, if that's something less, or just to have that freedom that we're talking about, that you don't have to have the high-paying job or have dual incomes or do these things, that you really can can do this through some just some simple, easy Investing your 401k, like not yeah. spending more than you make. These aren't complicated steps. They're easy steps, but they're not easy. Right. Right. They're and easy I, to I understand want to acknowledge that. and harder to put into practice, which yes. I agree. Yes. Yep. It, it is hard work because there's there's a lot of sacrifice involved here. It's it, Yes. It, it's del- you're delaying gratification on a lot of things in life in order to make this happen. Yeah, it is hard work. And again, like I feel like a lot of things in life that are worth it. Like I remember getting my CPA license. I mean, that I was a little took me a little bit longer than most people. I know some people passed on the first time. I did not. It <laughs> took me several years. It took a lot of studying, a lot of sacrificing, a lot of practice. Like it was not fun. And it was really hard and challenging, but it was really worth it. And I just feel like there, like there isn't an easy path. But if it's something that you really, really want, then you're going to put in the effort and the work to do it. And I think it's helpful to think about this in terms of what is my future self going to thank me for, you know, five or ten years from now that that I'm doing today. And similar to your CPA example. Um, Going through just going through undergrad and and grad school was in, it, that's a lot of work. It's hard. It's hard. I know college is hard for everybody. It's just it's brutally hard. But at the same time, now looking back, I'm so glad that I did it. I'm so glad that I I gave myself that experience. I learned those concepts. I, it set me up for um, the jobs that I I wanted to take. And uh, so. Today, I thank my younger self for making those those yeah. decisions and sticking it out when it was hard. That's a good point. I mean, you talked, you mentioned earlier that it's a lot about delayed gratification, and it really is. It's like, and it's really delayed, especially if it takes twenty eight years yes. on average. So, yes. to the whatever you can do to kind of keep the prize in mind and know, like, hey, this is going to be a long slew, but you can get there. And and delayed, that is not something I am super good at. I'm really not good at all. And 
I know that I feel like being married to David has really helped me with it. But I just remember like, I remember growing up that we would go like back to school shopping and we would get like some new outfits for the school year. And I would literally wear all of my new outfits the first week of school. Like every day <laughs> that first week, it was like a new outfit. I was super excited. It was like, I got these clothes. I want to wear them. I want to show them off. And my sister, on the other hand, would wait. She would wait. She would wait months. Like it would go months before she would even bust out one of her new outfits. And I would just be like, how are you doing that? <laughs> like, how do you not, how have you not worn this yet? And so um, she was really good at that. So it is a trait that is difficult to do, but hopefully you can think about the future and it, yes, it, it's hard. It's hard, especially when you have something nice and shiny sitting out there or when you, a friend of yours has, has the latest, I don't know, the latest car or the latest, the latest toy that, that you're also interested in and you don't have it. And you're the one that's that's not using the older stuff or your stuff is worn down and you're putting up with it another year or two. Your your phone is a couple right. generations out of date. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think like most people working on this journey, right? They're driving the used car. They're driving the 10 year old car. They are living in a modest home. They are there. Those are activities. And you might look at them and be they like, don't have wow. the latest iPhone. <laughs> right. You might look at them and be like, wow, they must. And it's like, really, they're probably in a better spot than most people because they're sacrificing and making those things now. So you can't just judge someone's lifestyle. Well, you shouldn't judge anyway, but no. it is really hard. And, and, you know, I think keeping lifestyle in check is a huge thing. And again, this is something I think that I struggle with, but and, and I do think you have to be aligned on this as a couple, but that the lifestyle check is real, especially each year as you get raises or you get a promotion and you see your friends going on that trip or getting that next home or whatever. And it's, it is really hard not to know, knowing you can knowing, Oh, well we could do that. But is, is that more important or is it getting to this goal if you want to, to be a millionaire or whatever that is, right? Right. Yeah. I, I think you made a really good point about d trying to put put these things in perspective for other people's lifestyles where they they might have that that new stuff. You don't know what their situation is, though. They They might be in a lot worse financial shape than you are because they're making those decisions. They might not be able to afford that. Or maybe they can pay for it, but they're not saving anything as a result. You don't know what their situation is. So try not try your best not to compare yourselves to them. The the, the other thing I wanted to call out on this, um, just kind of along, along these same lines, reminds me a little bit of um, this, this older book, the, the Millionaire Next Door, that I read ages ago. Yeah, it's a good And in, in that book, uh, the author mentions these million-dollar lifestyle decisions. That, that seem very inconsequential at the time, but add up. And I know not, not a lot in the book, the examples he gave were like smoking or mm. sm smoking several, a couple packs of cigarettes a day or, and not, no, not a lot of people smoke anymore, um, or ha drinking a couple cases of beer every week. And so he picked these vices, but even if you don't smoke or you don't drink, maybe you have something in your life that you don't need that costs a certain amount on a regular basis. But he was saying, you know, if you were to take the money, that cigarette money or that beer money every week and invest it on average based on at the time how much the average person, average smoker, or average drinker was spending, 
though they would be a million times millionaire a couple times over um, at the time of their retirement had they invested rather than smoked or drank that money in the immediate term. And that's the power of compounding interest and it's the power of of delayed gratification. I feel like you're giving me a look like you have something in your mind that we might have to have a conversation after hmm. this in private. Hmm. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe I, I have advice. Is that where uh, I this feel like me? maybe maybe <laughs> your conscience is weighing on you <laughs> and you yourself are the one putting that pressure on you. <laughs> but I do think like all of these things, you know, living below your means, delayed gratification, working hard. All of that you have to be aligned on as a couple, you know, and maybe this isn't your goal, but I think like we started this out, I think everybody would like to be a millionaire, but you both have to be on the page together. If one of you is not following it, you're not going to be able to do it. Just like anything in your marriage, it's going to take both of you to be on the same page and to be working at it together. And, And like many of you out there, this is a journey that Heather and I have wanted to go on together, right? This is something... For a number of years, we've been on this journey. We've, we've said, yeah, we we want to be millionaires. That's that's a goal we have. And so as a result of that, we've had to sacrifice. We've had to do these things. We've had to drive the used cars. We've had to um, have delayed gratification. We've had to look at what our neighbors have, like neighbors that have a boat. And, oh, we'd love to have a boat. Or... Like no, no joke. We had a neighbor that came home one day with a Lamborghini. Like, I didn't even know we were in a Lamborghini neighborhood. (laughs) And the next door neighbor comes home with a Lamborghini and he's like, check this out. Like what? That's a $200,000 car. You just came home with a $200,000 car. And I'm thinking, well, okay, yeah, I could probably liquidate some assets and, or I could take out a loan and I could buy a Lamborghini. Yeah, I could. But is that the right move for me? Is that in line with my long-term goals just because I like or I'm jealous of, of the neighbor that has this cool car? And I think that was, that was kind of a, a good moment for me to say, no, you know what? I'm on the right track. I, I am valuing the track that I'm on because we're, we're going the, the direction we want to go and we're going to get there. Yeah. And I think in that, like, we have no idea what their situation, maybe no. they were already multimillionaires. We have no idea. And yeah. it's not about judging theirs. It was just, again, it's that whole looking at others and wanting. And it's and, hard not to. Right. And exactly. so I, I'm, I'm trying to be vulnerable here a little bit and say, Hey, this is something I struggle with too. Um, when I see something that's like, Oh gosh, if my neighbor can afford it, my next door neighbor can afford it. Why? Why can't I? So, yeah. Anyway, um, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind. (laughs) That's a good point. So we want you to continue this discussion with your spouse. First of all, do you want to be a millionaire? I'm guessing the answer is yes. But if so, what are you willing to do to get there? What are you and your spouse willing to do? What in your life needs to change based on what we just talked about and some tips and some of the facts about what it can really take to get there? And are you already on the way or are you, are, are you already there? So David, what for you is the most important behavior on this journey to being a millionaire? In your perspective from those eyes, from those baby blue eyes over there. <laughs> oh, are they baby blue? <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Um, yeah. So I think the behavior is certainly 
if, if I could answer two, two, two answers here. First of all, the behavior I'd say is consistent investing. Just be consistent. Always be investing. Um, that that's so important. You know, that, that 28 years that we read, that we heard, heard about earlier, that only happens if you're consistently investing every day or every, every month, at least make sure you're consistently investing. But overall, just from a psychological standpoint, the advice I have is, is do your best to be content with where you're at today while still being focused on reaching your goals for tomorrow this is at the end of the day, this is all about a mindset and behavior is driven from the mindset that you're in. So if you can get in that right mindset, your behavior is going to naturally follow. That's good advice. So for me, I would say, you know, I think they say in life that you should really enjoy the journey, not just the destination. But in this case, I feel like the destination would be more fun, but I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we do need to enjoy the journey. But for me, I think what's hardest or I think what's been the most important that I need to focus on is, you know, the lifestyle. Um, And to your point, I think that mindset is really what's helped me with it, because I know there's a lot of times when I want to buy something or go out for that extra fancy dinner. And I I struggle like you gave the example. I struggle with comparison as well. So um, I think it's, you know, keeping in check on the lifestyle. And I recently heard um, uh, a saying that, you know, the actions you're doing now, the results show up in 60 to 90 days. And I think that's really true. And I think with finances, it's even longer, right? So the actions you're doing today, it might feel like, oh, that was really boring to put that money in my 401k instead of, you know, buying that toy. But and it's going to take more than 69 days, but in the future, what that's going to look like, right. Is going to show up. So if you're doing positive behaviors now, like you said, and having the right mindset, it's, it pays, it pays dividends. You're paying yourself to do this. That's right. Like you said, you're paying your future, future, future Heather's going to be like, thank you. Thank you. Heather for (laughs) that behavior and calming yourself down. (laughs) Oh, All right. Well, I think that about wraps up our conversation for today. We would love to hear how your conversations about money have gone or to take your questions on a future episode. Please reach out to us at marriageandmoneypodcast at gmail.com or message us on Instagram at marriage.and.money. Also, please continue to rate and review us on iTunes and that'll help us out a bunch. Thank you once again for joining us this week. And remember that whether you are a spender or a saver, your best financial life lies somewhere in the middle.